boy. Road rage in the church parking lot. Not a very pretty picture, is it? As I uh, thought about this video this week, I said, I am so glad that I'm a part of East Hills Bible Church because I know that none of us here would respond like that guy, right? Maybe not so. Maybe we wouldn't respond in the same way he did to those things, but maybe there's some other things that chip your trigger. Just stop for one second and think about what it is that causes you just to get cranked up right now. Don't share it. Think about that. I have a friend. I'm going to tell you about my friend. He shared his list with me. Tailgaters coming through Fayetteville, 30 mile an hour zone. Put it in, cruise control, boom, tail, right in your tail, flashing their lights, honking the horn that ticks me, I'm, I'm sorry, ticks my friend off. Terribly, <laughs> terrible. How about this one? Coming through Manless, past the duck pond. You got to stay in their right-hand lane because you can take a left right there at Burger King because we're going to church. We're going to worship the Lord, right? You get up to the Burger King, red light. That car pulls up who did not wait in the right-hand lane like you did. As soon as that light goes, you pull up a little bit quicker. What do they do? They cut you off. That ticks my friend off really, really bad. I have a whole lot of things I could share about me, about my friend, that makes him angry. But if we're honest... There are things that cause us to be angry. And here's what I know to be very true. We have all been angry in the past. Some of you are angry right now. And we're going to be angry in the near future. We're going to be angry. So the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we do about that? We're all angry. Thank you for coming. Have a great day. You are sent. Have an angry free Christmas. Well, this Christmas, as Trey already said, we are, we are talking about how do we deal with all the feels, all the emotions of this time of year, and how do we engage our emotions in a healthy way, which even includes this thing called anger. How we deal with our anger not only impacts us, but impacts the people around us. And that couldn't be more true than for a guy that we know as King Herod, a man that we read about every time we read the Christmas story. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to take it out, get your Bible apps out. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 3, and we're going to take a look at this man, Herod, and what his anger did to him. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It reads this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. I don't know about you, but when I read those verses, particularly the first two, I get what I call those Christmas feelings, feelings of joy and peace. It's talking about the birth of our Savior. We're talking about the Magi. You go, who are the Magi? Well, the word that's used there, it was a general term of those who were interested in dreams and astrology. And these wise men knew about the Hebrew scripture. And they specifically knew about prophecies related to this, this little baby who was going to be born. The long-awaited king who would save Israel and reign over her. When Herod heard those words and the, what these wise men were trying to do on that, that morning... They were not experiencing, he was not experiencing those Christmas feelings. What does it say? 
says that he was disturbed. The word disturbed means to shake violently. Another, another thing that I read, and you don't get to use this word all the time, it's like the roiling ocean where the waves are going out of control. Another picture of this, what we might have, is what Pastor Rob looks like when the Patriots lose their football game. But we can pray for him on that. Not a pretty sight. So we have been angry. We might be angry now. We're going to be angry in the future. Here's the question. Is it an angry to be sin? Is it a sin to be angry? Is it a sin to be angry? Like if I get angry, is God angry at me because I broke his law? Is it angry to be sin? And the answer very clearly is it is not a sin to be angry. Uncontrolled anger, though, is different because it can quickly lead to very destructive and unpredictable sin. But the emotion itself is something that God wired into us, one of the emotions, and it's not a sin unless it leads us into do something that's inappropriate. And I know all we have to do is turn on our TVs, we can look in the newspaper, and we can see incident after incident and events in our world that demonstrates what uncontrolled anger looks like. It's also true that we might even be able to look into our own families and our own relationships, and maybe even right here in our church, and we can see the results or the effects of uncontrolled anger and its impact. It's not a pretty picture. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul records for us in God's Word. It's found in Ephesians 4.26. He says this, In your anger, what does it say? We say it with me. Do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Notice he doesn't say this. Do not be angry and do not sin. He says, in your anger, what does that mean? That means we are going to experience this thing called anger. There are going to be things that get us angry. Good things, bad things. Uh, it's just part of who we are. And then Paul says, here's where you're going to get in trouble. Here's how you want to, this will happen. If you, if you don't do this, your anger will lead into sin. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. When my wife and I, Marion, got married, it was uh, 39 years ago, we were in a small group right here at Eastern Hills with a bunch of old people. Happened to be the age I am now, so it's a very different, different kind of thing. But they all wrote on a little card words of wisdom to us. You know what they wrote? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let those em that emotion get in there and start to roll and build up resentment and all that stuff because the result of that will be ugly. The result of that is sin. And that's exactly what happened to King Herod. He let the sun go down in his anger over and over and over and over again. And the result of his sin, which the result of his anger was terrible. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. He said, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was what? Furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. 
Now, I've been angry. I've been angry before, but I've never wanted to kill somebody. I never wanted to kill children. This was not just a little bit ticked off. This was out of control, destructive, and even demonic anger. So what was it that ticked him off so badly that he would do something so evil and kill all these children? I think it's important to understand a little bit about Herod and maybe some not-so-fun facts about him. Uh, when he was 25 years old, a really young man, he was named the governor of Galilee. And the Romans had put him there hoping that he could pacify the Jews at that time, which he did in, a, in, in some sort of a fashion. One of the ways he did it was by marrying into the, uh, one of the leading Jewish families by the name of the Hasmoneans. Uh, 40 BC, the Roman Senate gave him this title, the King of the Jews. You think Herod loved that? Boy, that just puffed his chest right up. He was the king of the Jews. And the Jews hated that title for a couple reasons. One, he was not a Jew by birth, and he was definitely not a Jew by religion. And so as the years roll on and Herod lives out who he is, he proves to be a very clever and cruel man, and he held tightly to the, the, to the reins of power, and he brutally removed anybody who got in his way. He was a killer. He killed lots of people. He didn't just kill a lot, a certain people. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his two sons. He killed his wife. He was a killer. Uh, listen, Josephus, a historian, called him barbaric. Another writer dubbed him the malevolent maniac. Another person called him the great pervert. Caesar Augustus says this, it is safer to be Herod's sow than it is to be his son. Why was he like that? Because of uncontrolled anger, a major piece of that. And Herod was really, really angry because he knew one thing about this baby the Magi were seeking after, that he would change things, and he did not want things to change. Herod was king, and he was a king of the Jews, and he wanted to stay that way, and he knew that this baby was the promised Savior, and that that baby would be the rightful king, and Herod did not want to give up his power. That was his legacy. That is what he was known for, an angry, evil, evil man. Let me ask you this question. There's another man. His name was Jesus. What was he known for? What was he known for? Well, if we had a little whiteboard up here, we could sketch some words on here. Words like grace, uh, mercy, love, uh, forgiveness, sacrifice, peace, all good, good, good answers. But what about his anger? Was Jesus known for his anger? Not so much, right? But here's a question. Did Jesus ever get angry? Yeah, he did, didn't he? He sure did. He got angry, yet 2,000 years plus later, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he's known not for his anger, but for his love. Herod is still known for being an angry, evil man. Jesus is known for his love. What's the difference? What's the secret sauce here? What was it that made Jesus known as a, a man of love? It was the focus of his anger. And I think we can see this when we take a look at some of the events where Jesus did show this emotion of anger. So we're going to read a number of different scripture. First one is Matthew 21. Uh, verse 12 through 13, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. Now, a good indication if someone's mad, they come and flip all your dining room table and kitchen table over. He, they're mad, okay? And we see that's exactly what happened here. But what was it that made him angry? One sip. I would have been angry if that was empty. But okay, he was angry because people were being hindered from coming into God's presence and knowing how much he wanted to be in relationship with them. In the text we just read in Matthew, uh, Jesus quoted from two Old Testament passages when he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And you can find that in Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. We're not gonna read it, but if you dig into the context of these passages, they are threats against about what God's intention was for the temple. The primary problem wasn't the money changers and how they were charging way too much money. That's not a good thing. The real problem was that the market was set up in the court of the Gentiles. And in the temple, this is the only place where non-Jews or Gentiles could come into the temple and experience what was going on there. And if they weren't able to engage with God in the outer court, they had little chance of being drawn close to him. That made Jesus angry. That's why Jesus came, so they could understand who God was. I think we see the same thing in the account where the disciples were keeping the children away from Jesus. We see that in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was what? Indignant. He was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. So what was Jesus' response to children being hindered from coming into his presence? He was indignant, he was angry, it ticked him off, and Jesus made it very clear, do not do anything to hinder someone, especially children, from understanding God's amazing love and his desire to be in relationship with him. That's why our children's ministry, our youth ministry, is so important to us here because we want to be able to come alongside moms and dads or grandparents, whoever happens to be raising the kids, to help them to help their children know who Jesus Christ is. So a little side note, this goes back to when Jesus was flipping the tables here. Think about this. When Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He didn't flip people. He flipped tables. He didn't flip people. He didn't punch people. He didn't cuss them out. And in fact, in an earlier account where Jesus, in the very beginning of his ministry, he did the same thing. The temple, he went in and he flipped some tables. Do you remember what he did before he did that? He sat down on the steps of the temple. He took some cords and he weaved a whip. Probably a good example for each of us to put into practice when we find ourselves angry about something. He took some time and he slowed down. So before we get angry and we lose a peace of mind we could ill afford to lose on people around us, we need to seek to understand before we seek to stand. Does that make sense? I hope so. Here's another example of when Jesus got angry. It's found in the Gospel of Mark chapter three. And here, Jesus was really angry at the hard-heartedness of some people 
who, um, who saw a man who was in need and they could care less. Let me read verse 1 here, Mark 3. Another time Jesus went in the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. The people in that story were more concerned about what Jesus was going to do on the Sabbath. They could care less about this man who probably couldn't work, probably couldn't support his family. And they were more concerned about what Jesus was going to do. And that angered him. They could care less about this man. He's angry at their hard-heartedness and how it closed their heart of compassion toward this man. I found this line I thought was very powerful. Jesus' anger is the necessary expression of his love for the suffering man. And when we look at people in need and we don't become angry when they've been mistreated and they've not been given what they needed, I think we should also be angry. We're to care for those who are in need. One more example of when Jesus got angry. Jesus was angry in the face of sin and death. When he saw the effects of what sin caused, which brought about the death of man, it made him angry. And we see this in John chapter 11. In this very, very familiar passage to a lot of us, but in this chapter we find the shortest verse recorded. Anybody know what that is? Jesus wept. Two words. Jesus wept. And in this, we will focus on Jesus' response to his friend's death, which was Lazarus. Two times in this chapter, we're told that Jesus was moved to anger. Verse 33 and verse 38. Uh, verse 33 says, When Jesus saw Mary, which was Lazarus' sister, weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Another word is used later, for he was angry. Verse 38 Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That word is also used when they said deeply moved in Mark 14, 15, where the disciples uh, rebuked the woman who was anointing Jesus. And in that word, it was a word of anger. Why was he so angry? Because death was not a part of God's perfect plan from the beginning when he made us. Because of sin... Death entered our world, and Jesus had to come, take on flesh, and pay the penalty for it. It made him angry. It made him angry. So did Jesus get angry? Yes, he did. What made the difference, though, between Herod and Jesus? Herod, of course, was all about him. And his anger, what it led into? It led into destruction and death, and he was willing to do anything to protect himself. Jesus' anger was about others and the impact that it had on their relation or potential relationship with God. God loved them and wanted them to be in relationship with him. Jesus was known for love. Herod was known for anger. So here's a tough question for each of us to ask ourselves this morning throughout the rest of this day. What are you known for when it comes to your anger? What are you known for? If I'd like to find out what you're known for, I could talk to your spouse. I could talk to your children. 
children, I could talk to your mom and your dad, I could talk to your coworkers, because they can tell us a lot about your anger. I can tell you this, I know there are more times than I wish to admit that my anger caused pain and hurt, particularly to those that I love the most. Isn't it crazy that we'll say and do things to those that mean the most to us as compared to what we would never say to other people? Our anger can be so, so destructive and it can hurt people and it can hurt us and it can limit us. So what do we do then if our anger is leading us into that kind of behavior? What do we do when people say, oh, here comes Wendell, better be careful. What do we do? Three things I'm gonna recommend. Pretty basic, not new, not rocket science, but if you're an angry person and you have no control, I'll guarantee you that if you put these steps into practice, you'll be on a path that your anger will turn into something that will be a righteous anger like Jesus's was. So the first thing I'd, I'd recommend is you just right off the bat acknowledge your sin, you know, acknowledge your anger and its source. Just be honest about it. Kind of AA, came to believe that I'm powerless over drug and alcohol. Hello, my name's Wendell. I'm an angry guy. Just admit it. Admit it to somebody. Let somebody know to say, hey, uh, I need some help in this thing. I would, I would find somebody that you can trust, that you can be honest with, and just say, hey, um, I, need, I need some help. I need someone who can pray with me and pray with me and allow me to look into God's word where I might be able to find victory. Once you've just been honest, again, you remember when you think about it, when you finally admit something, it's taking out of the dark corner, it's out in the light, you don't have to be afraid anymore about it because it's out. You're not going to be caught anymore. It's out there. Second thing you can do is confess and repent. Uh, a verse we should all memorize, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All the things you've said, all the things you've done, if you confess it as a follower of Christ, remember, you are forgiven. And that's what God wants us to be able to do. Confess it and repent. And repentance means this is the direction I've been going in with my life and how anger's been infecting people. I'm gonna turn around and do something new with God's help and with the help of other people around me. And I'm gonna make amends to people. I wanna make amends. I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna go to that person. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness and for reconciliation. We see this beautifully in Mark, Matthew chapter five, talking about when you bring a gift to the altar. Uh, Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then, co then come and offer your gift. You know what it means to somebody when you come up and say, hey, man, I, I really blew it. I said hurtful words. Would you please forgive me? You can't control what they're going to do with that, but most people are going to look at it and go, man, I, I'll forgive you. Just be brave and do that. So we acknowledge it, we confess and repent of it, and then we seek God's help and wisdom to deal with our anger because you cannot overcome it in your own power and your own strength because if you could, you would have taken care of it a long, long time ago. We need God's grace, we need his help to control our anger so it can, we can respond in godly ways when we see things that are not right. I think James has wonderful advice for us to follow. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become, say it with me, angry. Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Easy verse to read. A lot harder to put into practice, right? Our anger is an emotion that God has given to us that can be used for godly things, but it can also be very destructive. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we are, we're going to uh, close our time by singing a hymn. It's a hymn that, uh, if you've been in church for a long time, in the old days, it's called, It Is Well With My Soul. And this hymn was written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, a very successful attorney, real estate investor who had lost everything in the great fire, Chicago fire in 1871. Around that time also, he lost his four-year-old son who died of scarlet fever. So traumatic, traumatic, traumatic. Thinking that a vacation would do his family well, he loaded his wife and his two kids on a ship to sail to England. He had business to finish up. And while they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, there was a collision with another ship, and over 200 people lost their lives. Two of those was his children. His wife, Anna, survives, gets to England, sends a telegram to her husband, says this, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio then set sail for England, and, at the, and in the journey, the captain of the ship knew exactly where the, the accident happened. He brings him up, said, hey, this is the spot where the shipwreck occurred. And as Horatio thought about his daughters, words of comfort and hope filled his heart and his mind. He wrote them down. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever, lie, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. This morning you might be sitting here thinking, Wendell, it is not well with my soul. Things have happened to me that are terrible. I've done things that are terrible. My anger has created such damage and harm. It is not well with my soul. If that's you this morning, I want you to remember that's why Jesus came to this earth as a little baby born into a manger. He came to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin. He came to help us to gain victory over those areas of sin, not just anger, but all the other things in our life so that we could have a life of meaning. But that only happens when we place our faith in what Jesus did on the cross for us by admitting our sin to him and saying, I need to be forgiven, and then asking him, to lead our lives so we can walk in obedience. And with faith in this God who loves us so much and with trust in his divine help, we can say even today, it is well, it is well with my soul. So if you're not at peace this morning and after we sing this song and you'd like to pray with me or talk to me, I would love to be able to do that. Trey will be up front as well. But if you just stand with us this morning as we continue our worship.